0: Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the JST with Podcast. This is episode number 237, dedicated to a man who, on March 7th, 1996, became the second NBA player to reach 10,000 career assists, Mr. Irvin Magic Johnson. And as always, thank you for listening and downloading another episode of the podcast. On today's episode... We will be joined by Mr. Stewart Brooking. Stewart is the host of The Morning Brew with Stu. As Stewart and I discuss, analyze and evaluate year number 1 for Carson Wentz as the quarterback of the Indianapolis Colts. Carson Wentz in year 1 was under fire, was under scrutiny, was questioned and he might only be in Indianapolis for only one year. Jim Irby, the owner of the Colts, made a video outside of his private jet, about the current state of the Colts and things that he would like to see improved and, well, changed in Indianapolis right now. Carson Wentz, yeah, he didn't play perfect, but what quarterback has played perfect? Everybody makes mistakes. And Stewart and I discuss what Carson Wentz did in year one, if he is the problem, if he can't get better, if there are other problems on the team that people really aren't talking about, as well as answering this question, should the Colts move on from Carson Wentz? You'll hear all that and a whole lot more right here with Stuart Brooking, the host of the Morning is do coming up next and joining us now. Here on the JC With Podcast. It is Stuart Brooking. He is the host of the Morning Brew with Stu. Stuart, man, how you doing today? I'm um, great. Anytime
1: we get to talk Colts football, dude, I'm ready to go. Anytime, any place, anywhere. I'm I'll set everything aside to talk Colts football every day.
0: Colts football is an amazing thing. I'm wearing a Colts hat today. I wasn't planning on doing this, but With Stuart here to talk about Carson Wentz, I wanted to at least play the part and put the Colts hat on as I'm thinking about and trying to analyze what we saw this year from Carson Wentz. There is a belief that Carson Wentz might not be in Indianapolis next season. One year in Indianapolis, things were okay at times. Play calling was iffy at times. Carson Wentz's play was not up to the par that that has been set by Peyton Manning for quarterback play in Indianapolis. This year, one year for Carson Wentz to be the quarterback, what did you see from him, Stewart, when he played the football this year? I
1: don't think it was bad. I mean, I again, here's the thing. I, I don't like this when people do it with quarterbacks. I know it's gonna happen. There's only one Peyton Manning. So to to look at Carson Wentz and be like, well, he didn't play like Peyton. No, he's he didn't and he's not going to. Correct. And it, it's not fair. It wasn't fair to judge Andrew Luck by that standard either. And that's the thing. If you want Peyton Manning out of Carson Wentz, you're just not going to get it. I don't think he played bad. Listen, 27 and seven, 3,500 yards completed 60, like 3% of his passes. That's, that's a good year. If that was, if that was any other quarterback, other not named Carson Wentz, you put any name in there, not named Carson Wentz. This is not, this is a non-conversation, a non-conversation. I think people are hung up on the last two games of the year. I don't blame them. I, I can't say that, you know, I disagree with them, but I also can't say necessarily it's all Carson Wentz's fault. There's a lot of things that go into that. I have a lot of thoughts on that Jacksonville game in particular that people want to blame Carson Wentz for. But, you know, I have a lot of thoughts on those. Maybe we'll get into those. Maybe we won't. But my, my thing with Carson Wentz is I don't think he played bad. I don't think he played terrible. He was right where I thought he was going to be when I did the preseason rankings last year. I had him at quarterback 18. I think that's where he was. He's a top 20 guy. Uh, I think you can win with him. I think potentially you can win. This is going to sound crazy, but I think you could potentially win a Super Bowl with him. I mean, if you can win one with Nick Foles, you can win one with Brad Johnson, you can win one with Trent Dofer, you can win one with Carson Wentz.
0: That's actually an interesting point because a lot of people around Colts or Colts fans, they believe you can't win a Super Bowl with Carson Wentz. And quite the contrary, i look at the wide receivers that the Colts had There weren't any amazing wide receivers that Carson Wentz just throwing the the passes to. And to only have seven interceptions with the receivers that he had and the injuries at that position that he had, I mean, I kind of see what you're saying, and I kind of agree. Carson Wentz didn't play bad. It was almost what you expected. But like I may have mentioned, Peyton Manning did set a standard, and it wasn't his fault. He played the position almost better than anybody that's ever played the position in the NFL – and Colts fans know what good quarterback play is. Colts fans know what bad quarterback play is. And Colts fans expect, maybe because they, lo- they they relish in the glory days, Colts fans expect good quarterback play every single week. It's really weird and odd that when you don't have Peyton Manning, you realize what the rest of the league has, and it's not really consistent quarterback play every every single week. Some guys are good. Sometimes some guys are amazing. But as we see, it's even Tom Brady, and sometimes there are bad weeks that he has as well. Carson wasn't bad. He kind of played better than expected when you look at the context of who he's throwing the ball to every single week. Yeah, I agree, and it's interesting. You,
1: I'm glad, actually, shall I say, you brought up the wide receiver position, because let's talk about that for a minute. Yeah. Everyone wants to talk about Carson Wentz and how bad he was. Outside of Michael Pittman, Jay, there may be one person that he was throwing to that's worth a dart. Nobody. Okay, Nobody. and Michael Pittman on Tampa Bay, Michael Pittman on Los Angeles, Michael Pittman on Kansas City is the third best, maybe fourth best receiver on that team. He's your number one. Outside of that, who are the Colts throwing to? And now I'm concerned because I listened to the press conference the other day from Chris Beller because I'm a nerd and I listen to that stuff day in and day out. And he said he didn't feel like there was an issue. He's still on – The Paris Campbell train. I know you're an Ohio State guy. I'm sorry. It's time to move off of Paris Campbell. He he can't stay healthy. He's showing you. He's showing you that that's what he is. He can't stay healthy. All that kind of stuff. T Y Hilton. I love T Y, but it's it's time to go. Like he's a legend. I get it, but it's time to move on. But from what I heard from Chris Ballard, he loves Paris Campbell, and he's maybe willing to bring back T Y Hilton. And here's here's the thing. I know. And here's the thing. He said, bring in competition. If you bring in competition for a guy like Paris Campbell, uh, Zach Pascal, T.Y. Hilton, you are not bringing in a a guy who can, an Amari Cooper, who we just found out about, you know, an hour, hour and a half ago. is not going to be a Dallas Cowboy anymore because that's not competition. That's a significant upgrade at the position. That's not competition. You're not bringing in an Allen Robinson because that's a significant upgrade at the position. That's not competition. Competition is bringing in a lower tier guy that could compete with a Zach Pascal, that could compete with a Paris Campbell and keep the same train going. He reiterates that point on the Dan Dockage show. Again, I don't watch Dan Dockage. not a huge Dockage fan, but mm-hmm. Chris Ballard gets me in there to watch, to watch Dan Dockage. And he reiterates the same point. So I'm concerned now that even if the Colts go Carson Wentz, Jimmy G, Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson, whoever, congrats. But our wide receiver position is still our wide receiver position. And who are they throwing to outside of Michael Pittman if you're not willing to realize that there is an issue at the wide receiver position?
0: No, you kind of bring up something that was on my mind as I was preparing for this this little show with you. The evaluation of players has been poor. And it's not just Chris Ballard. There are scouts out there. There are people that go around and they watch the film and help Chris Ballard make these decisions. You knew what Carson Wentz was before he came in. You got what Carson Wentz is. You're evaluating wide receivers and the wide receivers that you're evaluating, the evaluation of them them to me has been poor. You're going out there and possibly bringing guys in that might not be an upgrade, like you mentioned. They will be an upgrade, but if you want competition, it might be a lower level guy who is not a solid wide receiver one. So to me, if you look at the Carson Wentz situation, it's not Carson Wentz only. It goes to Chris Ballard and the way that he has evaluated these players since he's been here. Now he has upgraded the roster in certain ways over what Grigson did. But if you look at what Grigson did versus what Chris Ballard did, Grigson had more success, postseason success, going deeper in the playoffs every single year. And then all of a sudden things derailed when Andrew Luck really got hurt. And couldn't play consistently. As good as Chris Ballard is, as well as respected as Chris Ballard is, I question the way that he evaluates the talent. Because if you evaluate Carson Wentz and you put all this belief in him, great. But you're evaluating the position that he's throwing the ball to the same way you're evaluating him, and it's not good. And I'm sure Colts fans and Colts play, Colts players are probably like, "Look, we know what it takes to win. We know what good wide receivers already face him every week." We don't have that. You're in bed. You love T.Y. Hilton. You want to keep him great, but you're not getting better with T.Y. You have to cut the cord at some point. The Colts, evaluation of players needs to get better and improve now if they want to be in the playoffs next year.
1: Listen, I said this at this point last year. I made a little graphic that I posted on uh, the Morning Brew with Stu Instagram and Twitter, and I'll actually bring it up here. And it was talking about Chris Ballard. And I was talking about not just the wide receiver position. Actually, it had nothing to do with the wide receiver position. It had to do with the quarterback position. And here's the thing. And we'll get to the wide receivers. I'll reiterate what you said about the wide receivers. But what I posted about Chris Ballard was this. I said Chris Ballard all of a sudden had a lot of pressure on him starting today. This is when Phillip Rivers left. A lot of pressure on him to find the next and new starting quarterback for the Indianapolis Colts. And then I went on to finish by saying this, the quarterback position since Andrew Luck left is the one position Chris Ballard has consistently gotten wrong. It's the one position he has not figured out. And I love Chris. I've come to the defense of Chris. I've been in so many Twitter fights with Dan Dockage and everybody else over Chris Ballard and how much of an upgrade over uh, Ryan Grigson I think he is. That's the one thing he's not gotten right is the quarterback position. The next thing is wide receivers, and I love Chris, and I understand you got to build from inside your organization. That's fine, but at some point we have got to we have got to upgrade. If we don't upgrade significantly at wide receiver, and we roll it back, with Carson wins next year, how can you fairly evaluate Carson Wentz and fairly be like this is the guy we're moving on with, or this is the guy we're
0: not moving on with if you don't have weapons for him? You know, so I, went on the, I went to sports reference, oh, profootballreference.com, excuse me, and I wanted to look up and see the receptions that each player had for the Colts and see a little bit more about the evaluations that we're talking about. Michael Pittman Jr. had 88 receptions this past year. He went over a thousand yards, he had six touchdowns. Second in receptions for the Colts, it was two guys tied with 40. Jonathan Taylor, Naheem Hines, two running backs. One's a starter, one's an all-pro. Naeem Hines is a good change of pace back. But those are running backs. After the 88 receptions that Michael Pittman Jr. had, the next receiver that had the most receptions, Zach Paschal. He had 38. And then Jack Doyle, the tight end, had 29. Mo Cox had 24. T.Y. Hilton had 23. I mean, you get the gist. Your leading receiver is Michael Pittman Jr. Then it goes two running backs, two tight ends, And then you get to Zach Pasco on T.Y. Hilton. You you just talked about how there is an issue with the wide receiver position and how Chris Bowden hasn't gotten it right. A person that knows nothing about Colts history or the Colts season just looks at the stats. Is going to scratch their head and say, why is there such a large gap between wide receiver one, wide receiver two, when it comes to how many catches they have? Now I would like to think, With the way things are right now, with Jim Irsay taking a video outside of his private jet before flying somewhere, Chris Ballard knows that he has to make changes now. I would hope. Doesn't sound like it, but I hope he's saying things just to say them now, but then tomorrow or the next day he's realizing, wait, I messed up. I did an hour-long interview with Dan Dockage and I really didn't properly portray how this team is going to get better. I hope he can do that because it's really bad. I don't like scouting the, the stat sheet or the end of your stats, but you can kind of scout and say the Colts receivers, were they the problem or was it the people that evaluated them to bring them in? That was a problem. My guess we've both said it, it is evaluation, but now still like, I would like to ask you this question. How do the Colts get better at receiver to improve Carson Wentz and the play that he has on the field? I don't think it's just wide
1: receiver. Obviously you have to mm-hmm. get better yeah. at wide receiver. Um, I think that's huge, but you know, everyone talks about that 2017 Carson Wentz, and I don't think we'll ever see that Carson Wentz again. Whatever, but <clears throat> when you go back and you think about how he was successful, who was his number one target there in Philadelphia when he was successful? I want to say Deshaun Jackson. I forget. It was Zach Ertz. Zach Ertz. Zach Ertz. Oh, okay, tight end. Best friend. Yeah. Zach Ertz was his number one target. Old reliable was his. Who? who the are the Colts going to roll out at tight end next year, a sixth round picking Granson and a former VCU basketball player, Mo Alley Cox, like Cox is good. Don't get me wrong. And I love Mo Alley Cox. I think he's, you know, he could be a a good, like second, maybe third tight end, mm-hmm. but that ain't a guy that I'm rolling out there and saying, listen, we can win a lot of games in Mo Ali Cox the so tight in something you got to look at, you know, green Bay, probably going to get rid of theirs. So you could probably look at, you know, uh, I can't, Robert Tunyon, they're tied in. Dawson Schultz potentially from Dallas might be a, an option to go down. And then wide receivers as well. I don't think you have to get an Amari Cooper, who I think is a top 10 wide receiver. You can go get an, an Allen Robinson if you want. And then round two, get whoever does not go in the first round, whether it's a George Pickens, a Jahan Dotson. Maybe you get a John Mechie from Alabama. I know he's hurt, but maybe you you know, you know take that you take a little flyer on him and you take a risk at getting the guy who's super talented. Maybe it's David Bell from Purdue. Maybe he falls to round two and you're able to get him. You build these guys who have a lot of talent. You get them a tight end. You get him a, a stud wide receiver. Yeah, Even if he's top 15. If, if it's a top 15 receiver, it doesn't have to be a top 10, top 5, top 3. If you get a Calvin Ridley, you get a Mario Cooper, fantastic. I'm not going to complain. But if you get an, an Allen Robinson from Chicago, which I would love here, in in uh you know in Annapolis you get an alan lazard who played well in green bay or you know somebody like that i think and then you bring in like a george pickens or a david bell in the second round of the draft alongside a a tight end like maybe a robert Tunyon or a dawson schultz from dallas Mm -hmm. i think all of a sudden you have adequate weapons for carson wentz to throw to and adequate weapons to judge carson wentz based on and be like okay if all of a sudden we can't run the football with Jonathan Taylor because the defense is just stopping the run and we have to be able to throw, can we do it? Last year, the answer was no, and I part of that's on Carson Wentz, but also part of it's like we talked about, who's there getting open, not many people. I think you would have an adequate number of talent to judge it on now if you were able to do something like that. Again, want we'll to see who does get re-signed, who doesn't,
0: but those are some early guys I'm keeping my eyes on for the Colts. Interesting you say that because as you're speaking, I go back to talking about a player that I talked about earlier in Peyton Manning and Colts fans, myself included, sometimes relish in the glory days of the Colts. One thing Peyton Manning did very, very well is properly utilize his tight end from Ken Dilger to Marcus Pollard to Dallas Clark and the other guys that were there on the Colts roster. Peyton Manning really used those guys To enhance how open, to enhance how many catches and yards, guys like Marvin Harrison and Reggie Wayne and Brandon Stokely, all these receivers, he really helped those guys flourish because he knew how to properly get his tight end open. The Zach Ertz Carson Wentz connection was a great one in Philadelphia. I don't know, once again, as you talk about Chris Ballard, I don't know if he's going to go that route to help his quarterback get better by bringing in a solid number one tight end that can be utilized properly in the passing game. That's where my hesitation comes with this team. I don't even know if getting Kiernan Carson Wentz is, is a need. I, I don't. Like, I'm not the biggest Carson Wentz fan, but I don't think that's the, that's the biggest problem with this team. It goes back to the evaluation, but it also goes, what are they doing in practice? Because this isn't the first time guys couldn't get open. This has been a series of problems that the Colts have had to where sometimes in practice, these guys just can't get open. They can't get separation. They're getting knocked off the route at the line of scrimmage, then mid route. And at the top of the route, they can't create separation. They can't go high point the ball. It's not all the evaluation of Chris Ballard. Some of these things are being taught in practice. I question, I've been questioning that for a long time.
1: Jay, this is something we've talked about on my podcast, right? Is coaching decisions and Chris and Frank Reich. And I think Frank Reich's a top 10 coach in the league. Don't get me wrong, but there are decisions and point in times where I look at Frank Reich and some decisions he makes, and I wonder what he's thinking. And, again, it's easy to play you know, armchair quarterback or armchair yeah, coach. It like, It's obviously easy to say. But I'll go back to not this past season, but two seasons ago, I guess, mm-hmm. at this point, when we had Phillip Rivers as our quarterback. And I harp on that Baltimore game more than any, anything i mean there's like f- we're down by four with like four four minutes left two minutes or something like that we call a timeout we waste our final timeout and so now it's like urgency you gotta push the ball down the field you gotta start you know you gotta score here and all of a sudden we throw a screen pass we hand the ball off we throw another screen pass we hand the ball off we throw another screen pass next thing you know it, time's off. We lose the game. A game we should have won. We come out the next week versus Tennessee. We throw the ball all over the yard. And we we spank Tennessee on Thursday Night Football. It's those decisions, and I think those go to the practice too. A lot of the times, um, the the Tampa Bay game. Why was Jonathan Taylor not in there in the third quarter of that ball game when? No, he was unstoppable. Like, he's unstoppable. You put him back in in the fourth quarter, what's he do, Jay? He runs down the field. We finally moved the ball past midfield and looks like we had all year long because we got Jonathan Taylor back in there. It's decisions. I'm with you. Coaching decisions at times, and coaching is the issue, I think, at times when it comes to evaluating these players and why they're not continuing to grow. Dan Dockage, I don't agree with him much. I, I keep saying that, but he brought up something interesting in that interview. With Chris Ballard, and something I've been wondering if Frank Reich's this quarterback guru and this quarterback whisperer that we hear about, why are these quarterbacks not taking that next step? Mm -hmm. Why is Jacoby Verset not taking that next step? I understand, but hey, you know what? Sean McVay is a quarterback whisperer. Guess what? He got to a Super Bowl with Jared Goff, who's a bottom half quarterback in the league. Uh, Sean McVay. Convened as a quarterback whisperer. Guess what? He's been to the Super Bowl twice or he's been to the Super Bowl once and, and been to the AMC championship game twice with Jimmy Garoppolo as his quarterback. So what's that tell you? My problem is I don't I'm not sure what it is coaching wise, but somewhere Frank Reich is disconnecting and that
0: co- the
1: coaching is the issue.
0: We've hit on Frank Reich. We've hit on Chris Bell. We've hit on the evaluating of the play of Carson Wentz and how it really wasn't as bad as some people think it was, the problems with the offense. But I have yet to ask you one question. Should the Colts get rid of Carson Wentz? Here's here's my answer, and this is
1: what I've said. I said this when Cody Felger of the uh, Bring the Juice podcast Mm -hmm. was on my show last week. I said this. I said, You know, when I first got the news, I first heard that it had broke that from Chris Mortensen that the Colts were either going to for sure cut him or trade him by the March 18th deadline. So that's all fine and dandy, but I don't think Aaron Rodgers is leaving Green Bay, and I don't think Russell Wilson is leaving Seattle. So now you have to look at it and say, if Russell Wilson isn't leaving Seattle and. uh, Aaron Rodgers not leaving Green Bay. And you're for sure going to get rid of Aaron Rod- or Carson Wentz, which it sounds like they are, by March 18th. The question for me is, okay, where's the upgrade? Because if I go into free agency I oh, look, Jimmy Garoppolo. I, I honestly think that's a downgrade. Teddy Bridgewater, extreme downgrade. Mm-hmm. Mitchell Trubisky, potentially a ground downgrade. Could be an upgrade. We don't know what he learned in Buffalo. We don't know how much of that was Matt Nagy. I think Jameis Winston, you're, you're moving laterally. I think Mm -hmm. they're the same player. I think there's, there's only two ways I think the Colts get rid of Carson Wentz or two players. I think they could, they would only get rid of Carson Wentz for I don't know how feasible it is um, because they would be significant upgrades over Carson Wentz. And that's one, if you get a Kirk cousins who went 33 and seven and then 35 and 15 the year before Uh, in the last four years, He's had three 30 plus touchdown seasons. Um, so there's that. He's a borderline top 10 quarterback. And, you know, your next question might be well, why would Minnesota get rid of him? Deshaun Watson listed that as a place. Minnesota is potentially a place he would go, depending on what happens, legal issues with Deshaun Watson. That might be where he lands. If that's the case, they're going to shop Kirk Cousins. That's a significant upgrade over Carson Wentz. And then for me, it's Atlanta. I look at Atlanta and I say Matt Ryan, I think has a lot of good football left in him. I think he could push the ball down the field, which I don't think, you know, I think Carson struggled with at times. But with both of those guys, you're going to be eating a lot of money coming your way. So you have to be willing to do that. I don't know if the Colts are. I don't know if Arthur Smith of Atlanta is ready to give up on Matt Ryan. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of ifs. See, this is the problem. There's a lot of ifs. And I think what's going to happen is, I don't think this is a Chris Ballard, Frank Reich decision. I think Jim Mercer is acting emotionally. I think in that end of the season pod or meeting with both Chris Ballard and Frank Reich, he told them, you are going to get rid of Carson Wentz. And so I think what's going to happen is they're going to do that. He's going to wind up in Washington, Denver, Pittsburgh, wherever. The Colts are going to wind up with a downgrade. And then we're going to be in the same conversation, same boat next year. I personally would keep Carson Wentz. This is what I would do. I would keep Carson Wentz. I would sign some free agents, like I mentioned, to build around him. And then, if you're if you really want to upgrade the quarterback this season, this year, then whatever quarterback does not go in the first round, whether it's Sam Howell, Matt Corral, Kenny Pickett, whoever, get him in round two. That's that's what I would. And then they sit a year in the system and learn behind. Carson Wentz, they learn behind, you know, Frank Reich system, you roll them out next year. Now, if you want to wait, you want to move off Carson Wentz next year, then we have some stars coming out. We have Bryce Young. You'll have, you know, um, the C.J. Stroud from Ohio State, Spencer Rattler, potentially, if he can build back up his draft stock. So there's a lot of those guys that you could potentially move Carson Wentz off for, especially if he plays good next year, get a draft pick for and build up to trade up for to get one of those top guys. Me,
0: personally, I, I roll this back with Carson for one more year. Is Deshaun Watson an option for the Colts to go out there and get him? I don't think so. I think if Deshaun Watson played in the NFC, if Deshaun
1: Watson played in another division, in the AFC, sure. But Houston's not dumb, I don't think. Maybe they are. I don't know. <laughs> but I don't think they're going to want to play Deshaun Watson twice a year Yeah, for, you know, however long he continues to play. Another thing to keep your eye on is the Aaron Rodgers situation. And I'm not saying that because I think the Colts are going to get Aaron Rodgers, but I say that because of this, Jay. If there's a lot of reports coming out now that Aaron Rodgers is in talks to sign a new contract with Green Bay. Mm-hmm. If that's a long-term contract, three, four years, Green Bay has some tough decisions to make on Jordan Love. Do you know Do you know a GM that went to Jordan Love's multiple Jordan Love games before he came out, Chris Ballard. He went to three hey. or four Jordan Love games at Utah State the year he came out. There were rumors if he was there in round two, the Colts were going to take Jordan Love in that draft, but Green Bay took him in the first round. If if you sign Aaron Rodgers for three or four years, you're not going to pick up the fifth-year option of Jordan Love, so you're going to trade him. That could be an option as well for, for the Colts, You know, bring back Carson Wentz and then maybe trade for a Jordan Love, a guy that you liked and then try to build him up and that kind of stuff. I'm not sure what they're going to do. Again, I, I said it. Uh, I'll say it
0: again. I would I would keep Carson Wentz. You have not mentioned one name. It's a guy who's on the Colts roster, Sam Ellinger. I don't know what your thoughts are about him. We have not talked about this, but I really am curious because some people realize sometimes you got to roll with the guys on your team. Give them a shot. There are Colts fans out there that literally saying, "Get him out there, get have him play 3 or 4 games. He'll be fine. He'll figure it out." Then you realize like, "Wait. Three or four games. If we lose four in a row, we're not going to the playoffs." So it's a very tricky delicate situation, but that name never came out of your mouth. Listen, I
1: <laughs> Here's the thing. It's the same people who were on the Jacob East and should start over. Yes, uh, yep. Uh, Philip Rivers, same people who were like Philip Rivers should start over or uh Jacob Beeson should start over Carson Wentz crowd. Listen, here's the thing. If Sam Ellinger is our starting quarterback, we're winning five games. That's and it. May, maybe, maybe that's a good thing. Cause maybe we'll get CJ Stroud or Bryce Young or whatever, but we're winning five games. If Sam Ellinger is our starting quarterback, it's just that plain and simple people are going to be like, well, maybe you're being pessimistic. Maybe you're a pessimist about this. I'm just being realistic. I was not a fan of him coming out of Texas. I thought he was a, a weaker armed version of, of Taysom hill okay i thought you could use him in a Taysom hill role kind of do some of the things that they did with him bring him in those short yard situations to run the football with him and a weaker arm jalen hurts is where i thought he didn't take the passing steps i thought he should have taken it at texas to earn himself a right to be one of those guys you know who has talked about as maybe being a starting quarterback i think he's gonna be a good backup And that's fine. But if he's your start, if you roll in to this next season with Sam Ellinger as your starting quarterback, you better be prepared to win five games.
0: If the five games that you would win with Sam Ellinger, that's better than better than the three that Peyton Manning won his rookie year. So I know it's a little bit different times, but we are really ready to win. I say we as Colts fans, we're ready to win the Colts in the mid to late 90s. Yeah, they came off going to the AFC championship in 95 with Jim Harbaugh. But 96, 97, those were not the years that the Colts wanted. The Colts got rid of Jim Harbaugh after 97. 98 started the Peyton Manning era, but there was no Twitter. There was the our mindset that's fans, sports fans in general, was just different now than it was back then. Uh there's blessings, there's positives and negatives to how how Colts fans, sports fans think, think right now. I wouldn't roll out with Sam Ellinger right now. I, I don't think that's that's a wise decision. I don't even think getting rid of Carson Wentz is what's needed for this team to be successful. I'm going to go back to the evaluation of the players, but also health. Finding a reason why players are consistently getting hurt. Not just wide receivers, but you have players on the defensive side of the ball. You're all, you're all pro. Um, left guard, Quint Nelson, you have Ryan Kelly, who's been hurt off and on his entire career at with the Colts. Figuring out the health of this team. Because I don't care who the quarterback is. If he's rolling up there with his third, fourth, and fifth wide receiver, his second tight end, and his backup center every single week, it's going to be hard to be successful. The health of the team has hurt them, but I do agree. Keeping Carson Wentz is probably wise. He's not a horrible quarterback, not a bad quarterback. It's just sometimes the decisions he makes are poor, but also I do think Frank Reich, as you as you said so well, hurts him. But keep it, Carson Wentz. I'm with you because – uh (laughs) it's Carson Wentz or downgrade. And I ain't trying to downgrade the quarterback position. Here's something, Jay, that we have not talked about, that I did talk about with
1: Cody, like I said, when he was on my podcast. It's interesting to me how everyone wants to hang that um, Jacksonville loss on Carson Wentz. It's it's very interesting to me because last time I checked, Carson Wentz didn't play defense. And the last time I checked, Carson Wentz didn't let the quarterback with the worst completion percentage in the league – complete 11 of 11 of his first 11 passes and throw two touchdowns on the first two drives of the game. Last time I checked, Carson Wentz wasn't calling defensive plays from the sideline. Last time I checked, I mean, maybe I'm wrong. And again, in those two weeks versus Las Vegas and Jacksonville, I will admit that he had a combined QBR of 13. That's terrible. Doesn't get it done. Doesn't cut it. I understand that, but also it doesn't help. And this has been, Matt Eberflus has been a guy I have torn apart all season long because I I just didn't think the defense was adequate enough to get the job done at times when he's calling cover twos and Josh Johnson, the third quarterback on the Jets, almost pulls off a comeback after a big lead and beats you. You got lucky you were able to make a stop there. It was players making plays when the defense played good, not the scheme. Hopefully that changes with this Gus Bradley hire because it's interesting to me how we all of a sudden forget that, you know, I understand Carson went to played bad, but it's just interesting to me how no one is mentioning the fact that the defense let Trevor Lawrence, who had the worst completion percentage in the league, complete 11 of 11 of his first 11 passes of the game and go two touchdowns on the first two opening drives of the game. It's interesting to me how nobody's talking about that.
0: It's so easy to point fingers at the quarterback. I mean, he is the face of the franchise or the, the most prominent face of any franchise it's easy to point fingers there. It's harder to point things to talk about things people don't really fully understand because defense is one of those tricky things that many people cannot explain. The average fan can't explain coverages, a cover two, a cover three, man to man, what blitz is, what what blitz is going through what gap. The average fan can't understand that, but the average fan can understand when a quarterback throws an interception or when the quarterback makes a bad decision, a bad throw, and overthrows a pass. And so the average fan can realize some things about the quarterback position. The average fan cannot understand things about defense on a football field, which is why I think people do go the quarterback route. It's also, uh, Stu, going to get more clicks. And if people write articles or put things on YouTube, a lot of things are clickbait. I'm not a biggest fan of clickbait, but a lot of things are clickbait. If you have Carson Wentz in every article or every YouTube a video you put up there, you're going to get more clicks than if you mention Darius, Darius Leonard or Matt Eberflus. It's just the nature of the beast of the society we live in. I think it's stupid. I think it's weird. I think we have too much information to be so wrapped up into one person or one facet of a team. Be more intelligent. We have the information to be more intelligent. Poking the finger at where the biggest problem is, it's easy but sometimes the easy thing cannot be explained. And I think the average fan can't explain the details of a defense or why defense fails. And I think a lot
1: of it, too, has to do – here's the thing, Jay. I'm going to be honest with you. A lot of it has to do, I think, with the offseason. And you can say, well, what does that – I think a lot of the negative stuff that you know Greg Doyle wrote, a lot of the negative stuff that Philadelphia fans had said about Carson Wentz had sat in the heads of the Colts. Mm-hmm. And so the first time Carson Wentz played bad, the first time Carson Wentz melted down in a big situation, the first time Carson Wentz didn't do something, maybe the coaches thought he should, or the Colts fans thought he should, it was, oh, yeah, well, Greg Doyle's been saying this the whole time. Oh, yeah, well, the Philadelphia media said this. Well, yeah, maybe they're right. And they're not giving them a chance to mess up. They're not giving them a chance to make those mistakes, learn a new system. Like, it's, it's not a new system. He's played in it before, but again, these are new guys. You got to work on your timing and don't forget people forget about this too. When Cam Newton first signed with the uh, New England Patriots a couple of years ago, the first, however many games of the year, he looked like the MVP candidate. He really did. It was him, Russell Wilson and like Tom Brady. What happened that derailed that? Do you remember? I don't. He got COVID. What mm. happened? What happened right before the Arizona game? Carson went oh yeah he got covid that's right and then what proceeded to happen after covid he played the two worst games of his year, of his career or of his season at, at Indianapolis every player we've seen get covid the next week it takes them a couple of weeks to build back up to the way that they were this year and when your Carson went he was up and down and then, again people are going to be like well now you're making excuses maybe i am but i'm just saying when there's a pattern to something he had covid and then proceeded to play the two worst weeks of football that he had put together on the year. You look at Cam Newton, he had COVID and then never caught back up the rest of that year. And now, you know, he's probably out of the league, probably done playing football. That's the thing is we've seen it happen with other players as well. Who got COVID. It takes them a little bit to catch back up, not trying to make excuses. I'm not trying to, you know, take pressure off of Carson Wentz because he did play bad. Again, he had a combined total in those last two games, a QBR of 13. But you can't take everything at face value. Sometimes you got to dig deep in. You can't read the back of the book and understand completely what the book's about. Right. Like you got to read each chapter of the book, dissect the book and understand what you're saying. You can't just look at Carson Wentz and look at how he played in those two games and be like, oh, yeah, well, he was just that bad. Well, you know, is he recovering from something? Maybe he's recovering from COVID. Yes. Maybe he's down the receiver. Maybe he's down the left guard. Maybe the Colts didn't do an adequate job of getting him a left tackle because Eric Fisher was gone for most of the year. And when he played, he didn't play well. So, I mean, you've got to look at all these options. People aren't doing it. It's easy to make fun of Carson Wentz. It's easy to pick on Carson Wentz. It's easy to say all this stuff on Carson Wentz. Get rid of him and see what happens. That's all I got to say. At this po- with, with this market, get rid of him, see what happens. We're going to
0: wish we had Carson Wentz. You've mentioned two guys in this show, one just now, the one a couple times previously, Dan Dockage and Greg Doyle. I have learned to appreciate some of the abnormal ideas that Dan Dockage has. Um, I think sometimes his personality is a little bit different, but I, I've learned to, if I, if you're easy to listen to, or maybe I'm listening to you and you say certain things, I can put aside your personality and take what you're saying at face value. And it's been hard for me to do that because there's so much weird things I don't like about Dan Dockage. I still think he's probably a decent guy if you want to spend time with him. But on the radio show, I understand why he is a hard listen, but he does make good points. Some of the stuff Greg Doyle has written about Carson Wentz has been personal. And it's because Greg Doyle has not agreed with Carson Wentz's stance with the vaccine. Because so I don't believe he got the vaccine. I never talk about this stuff on the podcast, but you yeah. mentioned Doyle and Wentz. You mentioned COVID. So let's go just go down this rabbit trail. I like Greg Doyle. He's been on the podcast before. Um, he's a really good writer for his style. He has a different style, but the way that he thinks it's, he's an easy read. I have never agreed with the way that he has treated or talked about or written about Carson Wentz, because I don't ask you about your vaccination status. We've never talked about it. I really don't care. Your status is your status. I, I share it with people that want to ask me, but it just it never comes up because, I don't really think that's a big deal to me when it comes to football. If you're writing, if you don't agree about somebody, something somebody has done in their personal life. Okay, great. The NFL decided that if you're unvaccinated, there's going to be different protocols for you versus the vaccinated. And Carson Wentz took and made some decisions about his own personal life, his family, his kids that he saw that he thought was best. Greg Doyle took that in disagreeance with the vaccine and how, Greg Doyle viewed the vaccine and that found its way in his writing. And that's one thing I never agreed with because I try to take personal things out of the podcast, personal things out of um, sports things I do because there's a time and a place for personal. There's a time and a place for analytic, for analyzing. There's a time and a place for goofy. Not every article needs to be your opinion about the vaccination status. And you should not allow that to propel how you write and how you view Carson Wentz. I've, to me, it's always been odd to me that that's been something that has been in numerous articles that Greg Doyle. Now, I do like that the editors and his bosses allow him to do what he wants to do and they don't censor some things. So I still think you want to hear Greg Dole's personality. But I have found it odd that he allowed that to kind of alter how he's viewed Carson Wentz because of the vaccination status I don't know where that came from. Wasn't planning on going down that rabbit trail on the show, but Greg Doyle is a good writer, but I do think as you said about it, he kind of let that kind of get under his skin. And I, I, I just never agreed with the way that he has um, written some art, some things and some things he said about Carson Wentz, because leave vaccine out of it. Just analyze the football. If you let the vaccine and the football get back it, it get interlocked, it's it's a bad thing it's, to me. It's a bad thing. It's a bad idea. Here's my, here's my thing.
1: I agree with you. And, Unless you're being openly racist, openly homophobic, openly whatever, I leave leave personal decisions off the field. I don't care if you voted Republican. I don't care if you voted Democrat. I don't care if you're pro-vaccine, if you're anti-vaccine. Everybody harping on Aaron Rodgers for what Aaron Rodgers said. Do I agree with Aaron Rodgers? Probably not. Most of the things he says, no. But I can evaluate Aaron Rodgers for the quarterback he is. Based off of what he does on the field, strictly based off of off of what he does on the field, not whether he takes ivermectin or not. That's not the point. But the point I and that's where my problem with Greg Doyle was, I don't I may may or may not agree with Carson Wentz. But the point is, even if I didn't, I'm not going to be like, well, Carson Wentz is a bad leader because he didn't get the the vaccine. If if Greg Doyle would have came out and said, "Listen, Carson went to the bad leader because he sits by himself in the lunchroom. Carson went to the bad leader because you know he doesn't say he doesn't step up when there's problems in the locker room." If he just said Carson went to the bad leader because you know I have people from inside the locker room, like they did in Philadelphia, coming mm-hmm. out and saying these things about Carson Wentz. No issue with G- with Greg Doyle. I have no problem. Zero issue with that. It's when you start taking the off the field stuff. And we start questioning what they are and like all this, all that stuff that really kind of, for me is like, personally, I I've never met Greg Doyle, but I lost a little respect for Greg Doyle that over the summer, because it's like you, you count yourself as a sports writer, evaluate the sports for what they are. You know, you don't have to agree with somebody's decision. I don't have to agree with what somebody says or whatever. It doesn't mean that, you know, they're either bad at their job or good at their job or whatever. It's just, I'm going to evaluate you on your job based off of how you perform your job. And, you know, everyone talks about Aaron Rodgers. The same thing, Greg Doyle would spend an entire summer this year. I feel like writing a smear campaign about Aaron Rodgers as well, because of his takes that he's had openly on the Pat McAfee show. Again, I don't think Aaron Rodgers is leaving Green Bay. So we don't have to worry about that. (laughs) But I, I personally take issue with addressing and and judging people's football play off of or or basketball player, baseball player, whatever, off of your personal decisions. Unless, like I said, you're being openly racist, openly homophobic, openly stuff like that. Then we can take those issues and we can have those issues and those discussions. But if it's because someone wants to take the vaccine and someone doesn't,
0: that doesn't that doesn't need to be brought up in football debates. It just, it just doesn't. You know what's weird to me? I don't think in the average locker room, the players, NFL locker room, the players are really harping on this and viewing this and discussing a player's vaccination status in the same way that the sports writers or talking heads are. I mean, Aaron Rodgers even said that, um, and he was on the Pat McAfee show. He said the league and the coaches and the team knew his status. Nobody complained about it. It was the media that made a bigger deal about it, which to me is like, wait. You're so in tune. And this is not just Greg Doyle. I mean, there's numerous columnists, which don't have the same same job and job description as a beach writer, that do share their opinions on a regular basis. And so there's numerous columnists out there that will share their opinion. And they say, oh, this is going on in the locker room, and that's going on in the locker room. But once we hear what's going on in the locker room, it goes contrary. And it's different than what these columnists and talking heads are saying, which makes me wonder you say you're so in tune to what's going on inside the locker room. Then why is it that what's coming out of the locker room is different than what's being written or what's being said? Stu, so I lost some respect. I, was, I didn't like it. I, don't, I didn't like those articles. Um, I actually stopped reading a lot of his articles as well. I haven't read Greg draw article in maybe a year because a lot of that stuff was, was hard for me to read. Really hard for me to read. So I said I need to put this aside and I haven't gone back to it. And I do generally like his ability and his approach to writing, but that kind of put me off of everything that he wrote. Stu, we got to get out of here, man. Went a little bit longer than what we expect, expected, but good conversation. If you could let everyone know, they can catch you on Twitter and where they could listen to your show as well.
1: Yeah, uh, the show is going to be is everywhere you can find the podcast. So Apple Podcasts, Spotify, whatever, Um I did a pod. I did a live show yesterday for the Off the Ball Network's new draft show. Mm-hmm. It's Draft Capital NFL. Again, you can find that wherever podcasts are available, or just go to the Off the Ball Network's Twitter page to watch the uh, podcast from yesterday. I interviewed a uh, Texas Southern defensive end and draft prospect Michael Batajo. It was a great interview. He's a great guest. Um, I really enjoy enjoyed talking to him. I have some uh, previous podcasts out. I haven't done one this week, but I've talked with guys like, um, oh, I've talked with Matt Taylor recently. I've talked with Jevin Redmond, the voice of the uh, Purple Aces for Evansville. I've talked to, you know, I'm drawing a blank right now. There's everyone I've talked to Greg here Straw. recently Greg Co- Rigstraw, Greg Greg, Greg Cody Felger of, uh, um, the Bring the Juice podcast, so many guests I've talked to lately, lately, a lot of good conversations, a lot of good in-depth stuff, especially for those of you interested in, like, broadcasting, because I have a sports podcast, but there's more to sports than just the athletes on the field. There's the people who run the organizations, the people who talk about it, the people who broadcast it, and as a broadcaster, somebody who does play-by-play, I like having those conversations. Matt Taylor, he was on your show. He's a great interview. That's one you need to go listen to. I loved the interview with Greg Greg Straw. That was a fun one as well. Greg is a great guy, an Indianapolis legend. Uh, Jevin Redman from the Purple Aces, University of Evansville, is a guy I've known for a while and mentor in the broadcasting world for me. So yeah, that's somebody that's a good fun conversation as well. And then if you want to hear Colts talk again, go listen to the latest one, episode eighty five, for um, the Morning Brew stew where I talk with Cody. Felger of the uh, bring the juice podcast episode 85 we got 15 more to go until we get to 100 hopefully you know those of you who just start listening will be there I got some big plans for episode 100 and I, I'm excited because we're coming up on the big milestone.
0: Yeah, man, it's good time, good show, Stu. This has been fun. We gotta have you back on again, um, maybe some more Carson Wentz talk, quarterback talk, or just a random sports talk in general. Because you and I could go, you and I could go for a quite a long time just sharing our thoughts about sports. Thank you for coming on the podcast. It's really been fun, man. Really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. I knew that when I wanted to talk about Carson Wentz. In the Indianapolis Colts, there was one person to go to. That's Stuart Brooking. Stewart does his homework. Stuart doesn't follow the narrative of the national media or the local media. Stuart does his own thing. He evaluates what he sees. He analyzes what he sees and formulates an opinion. And he knows how to articulate said opinion in a well-thought-out way. On a podcast, into a microphone clearly, so everybody understands the words that are coming out of his mouth. And another great thing about Stuart Brooking, he'll be back on the podcast. Oh, yes, we already have some plans for the future a series of, that I'm going to do a little NFL, a little college football, maybe some NBA. Trust me, you'll want to stick around for this because Stuart's voice will not be something you'll hear every two to three years. He'll be back again this year, probably multiple times, because with the way that he was on this episode, in this episode, oh yeah, buddy, he'll be back again because Stuart Brooking is good at what he does, and he's a great addition and a great guest to have on the Jay Stevens podcast. Thank you, thank you, thank you for enjoying another episode of the Jay Stevens podcast. You can follow me on Twitter at. Jay Stevens zero 07 for all of you Apple podcast listeners leave a five star review on Apple down at the bottom actually on Spotify as well you can leave ratings there as well leave a five star review on Spotify and on Apple it's a great way a free way to help the show grow this has been episode 237 of the J Stevens podcast I will see y'all next time